Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Honor to the word of the Lord. Philippians chapter number two, and we're going to begin with verse number eight. Good to see different ones. Good to see, amen, Sean and Tyler Worth, amen, with us today. Amen. It's good to have Summer back with us today. So much so glad to see her. Amen. We're going to have to get out to a basketball game at the Wabash Valley College while it's still in season. My wife and I had already talked about it. Amen. So you, you, you've come here and you've seen our game, so we're going to come see yours. Amen. Amen. Philippians 2, verse number 5. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This month we are starting a series on called this Living Unselfishly. Living Unselfishly. And this morning our concentration then, this of course is speaking of Christ, speaking of God coming down in the man Christ Jesus. And we're going to look at the attitude of Jesus this morning concerning living unselfishly and how we can adopt that as our own in our own lives. Hallelujah. I go to you in prayer today, God, and I need your help here for the next moments. God, in this Bible lesson on this Sunday morning, I pray, oh God, help us to pattern and live our lives, God, in such a way, God, that they would be, Lord, unselfish. I pray, oh God, for the benefit, Lord, of those around us, God, for the benefit of the world. God, that is still yet perhaps those that are needing to know you. I pray, oh Lord, help us to mirror, God, what you displayed for us, what you exampled for us, God, even your moments of walking upon this earth for those 33, Lord, and so years, God, that you did. God, help us, Lord, to captivate that, Lord Jesus, into our own lives, God, and bring it in, Lord, and live it. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen to the church, amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. The attitude of Jesus. Philippians, the verses 5 through 8 that are read in your hearing today. Whenever you read the verses before them and even some that come after them. And verse number 5 is a, is a pretty popular verse about how let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But whenever we read that with the verses before and the verses that come after that, we understand that. The mind, uh, the, the aspect of the mind of Christ that it's asking us that we'd allow it to be in us is that aspect of being a servant. It's the perspective of a servant. Uh, having the mind of Christ is no doubt the ability to see life from the same perspective that Jesus saw it. And whenever we understand that, Christ saw things from the perspective of being a servant. Because whenever he came into the world, you know as well as I know, he did not come in a palace as a king. He did not come with all of the clout and the pomp, if you will, of, of some majesty of royalty, but he came in the humble form, for number one, of humanity as man, and he came as a servant. The Bible says he came to give his life a ransom for many. 
And so he didn't come. He even says in his earthly ministry in different places in the Gospels that he didn't come to be served. That wasn't his mentality. He came to serve. The Bible says in Matthew 20 and verse 28, the Bible says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, now let me tell you this. Whenever we talk about God coming down in flesh as Jesus Christ, that's a big thing. I mean, you're talking about the creator of the universe. You're talking about the one that holds the very next breath of all humanity in his hands. Yet he didn't come down for a pat on the back. He didn't come down for people just to throw gifts at his feet or anything of that nature. He came down to minister unto or serve the people, amen, that he would eventually ultimately do the ultimate service, and that is die for. And so as he, as he walked among the earth, he wasn't looking for a handout. He wanted a handout. Did you get what I said? He wasn't looking for a handout. He was wanting the handout. And so uh, that is a great example then for us to pattern our lives after, you know, not to live life in such a way that we are walking around with our hands out or it always has to be a pat on our back, but see what we can do to provide the handout, right? I know in a selfish society, that's hard to wrap our minds around, but to be like Jesus is to be like a servant. To be like Jesus is to have servant leadership. Prior to verse number five in our scripture setting, it indicates to us that we, we should have, the, have this like-minded attitude, this like-minded attitude of having the same love that Christ had toward his fellow man. And here is the theme that seems to start in verses three and four. It says to esteem the other better than themselves. Esteem the other better than themselves, and to look on the things of others. And so that is a perspective that I'm not looking here, as oftentimes is the case, I'm not looking here at what Paul McGee's circumstance is or what I'm in need of, but I'm considering what somebody else is in need of. Not only that, esteeming even them above me, can I even say it like this, esteem their need above my need. What they are in need of above my need. Whenever Jesus, whenever Jesus walked on the earth, and we know there's so many different miracles that are ascribed to Jesus as he walked upon the earth. The raising of the dead, blind eyes being opened, those who were lame that could not walk, that could walk. So many profound miracles that Jesus did while he walked upon the earth. Yet whenever he got done, this just shows the attitude of the mentality of Jesus. Oftentimes he told the very ones that received the miracle, he told them not to tell anybody about what took place or necessarily who had done this thing to them or for them, but just kind of keep it to themselves. And that kind of shows the attitude of Jesus. Profound miracle. They, they, they had never seen these type of things done like quite like this until the Lord walked upon the earth. And yet he says, don't tell anybody what I've just done. Why? Because he has that servant type mentality. He didn't mind working in the shadows, doing some great things and not have to necessarily get the credit for it. Amen. He was living his life unselfishly. But see, in today's world, uh, someone gets healed, and we always know that's by the power of God. 
if there's a healing or a miracle that takes place, that's by the power of God. But then in today's world, people then start putting together websites and banners about such and such healing ministries. Hallelujah. Uh, when number one, they could lay their hand on anybody and they'd never do jack squat for someone. But it's only by the power of the Spirit. But then to take ownership of something that doesn't even belong to them to begin with. Amen. Christ, he's lived that unselfish life. He had every reason to take credit for it because it's only by him. And yet he says, just don't, just don't even say anything about it. As a matter of fact, as I already mentioned, he could have, if he wanted to, orchestrated that he was born in a palace. But instead, he chose Bethlehem. He could have chose another virgin. And had the father, the, 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 the father Joseph, you know, which was a carpenter, he could have had that man to have maybe a, a higher societal, you know, type of government job to be born into. But he didn't do that. He came to the small and significant town of Bethlehem, born in a manger, no room even for him in the end. Because why? I think that sets the stage for his attitude and his purpose. He was going to live an unselfish life among the people among the world, but more importantly, among the 12 disciples that he would set aside, that he would pour his life into. Why? Because whenever he left, he wanted them to continue that unselfish life. Amen. Among the 12 for all the world. Amen. To be able to pattern themselves after. And so when we talk about the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ in many regards is possessing the same attitude of Jesus in at least three different areas. Number one, to possess the same attitude of him concerning his humility. Number two, his compassion for the lost. Number three, his total dependence upon God. And so when we consider having the same attitude as Christ did concerning his humility, we see in Philippians 2 that that was to be imitated by us. As Paul was writing uh, to the Philippian church, he wanted them to imitate the humility of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, we know according to God's word, was God manifest or revealed in the flesh. And verse 7 tells us of Philippians 2 that he was equal with God, mainly because God was in that man, Christ Jesus. But look what the scripture says. He made for himself no reputation. No reputation. He took upon... The form of a servant. He, he was fashioned in the likeness of men. Just common man. The Bible says he even humbled himself. And then it goes a step further because this is kind of like the climax. If you, it's, it's a contradiction in your mind. It's the climax of his humility. <laughs> that is that he came then for the purpose of being even obedient unto death. And then almost as a side note, it tells us, the death of the cross. Because it, it wasn't just any death. It was the death of the cross. Which the Bible tells us in Galatians that it said, Cursed is anyone who hangeth on a tree. So it wasn't just, you know, you know, death by incarceration, death by death. No, it was the death of the cross. He chose the cursed death. He chose the cursed death to be the death that he would be obedient to. Which again just underscores then his, his selflessness and his humility uh, that he had. Uh, probably one of the greatest illustrations, one of the greatest acts that Jesus gave his disciples concerning his humility is found in John 13. We just studied John 13 last month. And this is whenever Jesus assumed the role of a servant. 
and he washed the feet of his disciples. It's probably one of the greatest illustrations and acts of Jesus' humility. The Bible says, and we looked at this, but let me reiterate today, John 13 and verse 3. The Bible says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. I said last month, I reiterate this month, Jesus knew that all things were in his hands. All things were at his disposal. As a matter of fact, uh, he's a pretty powerful guy, all right? All power in heaven and earth, the Bible says, is given to him. He's a pretty, pretty powerful guy. Yet with this knowledge, with this understanding, I said last month, the very next verse says, he arises from supper, he lays aside his garments, he takes a towel and girds himself and stoops to the, the role of a servant and starts to wash his disciples' feet. He's all powerful. He has all things at his disposal, and yet he takes on the role of a servant. He takes the low road, if you will, of humility. And so he washes disciples' feet. We, we've stated it. I reiterate today. He washed the feet of those he knew would betray him. He washed the feet of those he knew would deny him, such as Peter. He washed the feet of all of those that in just a few short hours was going to be fleeing away from him as he's being apprehended in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, folks. That's humility. That's humility. I mean, he knew. It's not like I washed the betrayer's feet. I didn't know he was a betrayer. Later, I found out he was the betrayer. It's not like I washed Peter's feet and uh, I didn't know he was going to deny me and I found out later. No, 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 no. He already knew that they were going to do these things, yet he stooped down and washed their feet anyway. Now, that is a selfless act. That is a selfless, might I even say, love. Because culture of their day dictated that a servant would, was to wash the feet or that each individual would be responsible for washing their own feet. And so whenever they come together for the Passover meal, what is known as the Last Supper here with the Lord, there is no servant that is appointed here in the house and no one has taken the initiative to start washing their own feet. And so Jesus says, I'll become the servant. I'm your master. I'm your twelve's master. I'm your rabbi, but I'll be your servant, and I'll wash your feet. And it amazes me, again, that the setting of all this is the disciples have already been arguing about who's going to be the greatest, you know, who, who's going to be the, the head cheese among them, and Christ shows them who the head is by being the lowest among them. He said, the greatest among you will be your servant. The greatest among you will those who will uh, have a selfless act and a selfless type of attitude. And here's the fact of the matter, and, and we need to own this, that being a servant in the moment of being the servant may not seem too glamorous. It's not too glamorous to have a bowl of water before you and in that day everything that would have came off their sandaled feet, so to speak, into the pen. Being a servant in that moment is probably not very glamorous. But whenever we play the role of the servant, it positions you. And I'll explain this in a moment. It positions you to witness some things that you may not other witness if you were not the servant. And what I mean is this. Case in point, the Old Testament scripture speaks of some sons of a man by the name of Korah. They're called the sons of Korah. The Bible says in Psalms it was penned by the sons of Korah in Psalms 84 that they would rather be doorkeepers in the house of God than to dwell among the tents of wickedness or at least 
being doorkeepers in the house of God, they were positioned there in such a way that they could hear the activity of the temple, although they were not permitted to go in. And they might be able, you know how you can feel the presence of the Lord. They could feel perhaps some of the activity of the temple, although they were not uh, allowed to go in. This is what the Bible says in Psalms 84 and 10. For a day in thy courts, this is written, the sons of Korah, their pens. For a day in thy courts, speaking of God's courts, his temple, his tabernacle, is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, we got to understand what the concept and idea of all this. Their daddy, Korah, along with two other gentlemen, or men, I should rather say, by the name of Dathan and Abiram, revolted against Moses being the leader. They thought, you know, isn't, isn't any one of us just as good as Moses to lead the children of Israel? And they revolted against God and revolted against Moses. And the Lord had already spoke. Anybody that's going to make any type of alliance or association with these men, he says, I'm going to open up the earth and I'm going to swallow them up. And so you're either going to be associated and have an alliance with them or you're going to separate yourself from them. And sure enough, the Bible stands true that the earth opened up and it took Korah, Dathan, and Byram and anybody that was associated with them and had not separated themselves from them. But the Bible tells us in Numbers that the children of Korah died not. Meaning that evidently they had separated themselves from their own father. They, they separated themselves and did not associate themselves with the revolt that they had done against God. And as a result of that, from that day forward, from that point forward, because of this, this action of Korah, this rebellion of Korah, it put, if you will, a dark shadow upon their family. And now the sons of Korah, who were once very intimately involved in the temple and the things of the temple, now had to only be at best gatekeepers to the temple. No longer were they allowed into the most intimate settings that they were before. But now the sons of Korah in Psalms are saying this, still rather, even though we're not allowed in because of the sins of our father and everything that took place, although we're not allowed in, I'd still rather be a gatekeeper at the house of God than to dwell among the tents of witness. What he's talking about, the tents of his daddy that was swallowed up. I'd rather be a, a, a gatekeeper at the house of God than be associated with my daddy's tents because if I had stayed there, if I stayed associated with that, I would be swallowed up. At least being a servant right here, I can hear the activity of the temple. This has put me in a position. Had I stayed where I was, I wouldn't even have this as a part of my, I wouldn't even hear or be able to feel what well, I'd be a dead man. But just being a servant, I still, being a servant has put me in a position that I can witness some of the glory of the Lord right here in my place of servanthood. It's not always glamorous, but sometimes it puts you in a position that you're exposed to things that you would not otherwise be exposed to had it not been for your servant mentality or your selflessness. Amen? Amen. Uh, when we were at uh, prison last week, someone that went in with us was, uh, we got in the compound and, and there was someone that was kind of running a correctional van on the inside of the compound that was going to let us get in and go, which means, you know, there's been all kinds of convicts in that correctional van. And uh, the person that was walking with us was kind of opting to rather walk than ride uh, that van. And I overheard or heard them say, no doubt someone's probably vomited in that thing before. And, uh, of course, I admit to you, it probably didn't necessarily look the cleanest. 
and there probably has been maybe more than one that's probably vomited in there before. But I mentioned, because I overheard that, so I mentioned, I said, well, well you know, whenever we were in Texas, uh, Sister McGee and I was praying with a lady uh, in the altar, and she began to vomit all over the floor while we was praying for her. I said, and Sister McGee went and got some clean necks and some napkins, cleaned it up. We continued praying. She got renewed in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I said that with intent and purpose because servanthood, again, isn't always glamorous, but it will put you in positions also to be a part of some really great things you would not otherwise be a part of if you didn't position yourself there. So, you know, one of the aspects then of the selflessness of Christ then is the humility of Christ. Another attitude, if you will, of Christ and his selflessness then is also compassion for the lost. That was a big deal to Christ. The Bible says in Luke 19 and verse number 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. I mean, that tells me really, Brother Mason, in a nutshell, his purpose. His purpose for the Son of Man coming was to seek and to save that which was lost. His purpose for coming was the lost. And so as individuals and even as a church, then we should adopt the purpose of the Lord as our own purpose. If his purpose for coming, his purpose for giving life was so that we could have life, even more abundant life, then we need not sidestep from what the purpose of Christ is, even in the church. Uh, you know, there is no greater selfless act even for Christ than him literally laying down his life for others now here's the thing the Bible says John 15 13 greater love hath no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends I know we see that through the lens of Jesus laying down his literal life for humanity but there are other ways we can lay down our lives not in a literal sense but in a figurative sense that we can lay down our lives for humanity as well. Because many, perhaps even most of us today, will never lay down our literal life for someone unless you work in a profession or as in a, a volunteer, guys, in an area where, where it requires it, where you're running into the burning building as everybody's running out. You know, uh, there's probably a few maybe among us that actually lay down their literal life, you know, for the saving of a literal life of somebody. Uh, but the fact of the matter is this, Sometimes and most times it requires sacrificing for just everybody that's not running into a burning building. It, it requires sacrificing part of our lives. When I say our lives, sometimes it's sacrificing our time. Sacrificing our monetary money, money things for the purpose of others to reach them or to minister to them. So we're not necessarily asking you to take, go to the guillotine and let off with your head. And there's some missionaries over in third world countries that's happening. But for us here in the United States, it might mean that in order to be, uh, you know, uh, so uh, searching, doing what the purpose of Christ was for the lost, laying down our life might equal giving some of your time or giving some of your money. That might be a way in which you lay down your figurative life, if you will, for the sake of somebody else, for the sake of humanity. Number three, another way in which we can mirror, if you will, the attitude of Jesus in his selfless act is that Christ had a total dependence upon God. He said, there's nothing that I do that isn't first okayed, verified by the Father. In other words, you see, even the great works that I do, it's not I that do them, but it's God that does them what? Through him. 
So there was total dependence upon God. This goes without saying, but it seems like we still got to say it. And that is, anything we accomplish in this life for the Lord is because of the Lord. Amen? Anything we accomplish in this life for the Lord is because of the Lord. Amen. If someone gets saved, that's God. Someone gets healed, that's God. If someone repents, that's God. Someone gets baptized, that's God. Now, we might have had a hand in instrument, you know, making the contact, if you will, but all in all, the divine sovereign work that's done, that's God. Amen. The Bible says in Mark 16 and verse 20, He's sending out his disciples. He's wanting them to heal the sick, that those possessed with demons, that they would be made free. And the Bible says, and they went forth and preached everywhere. And here's the keynote here. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following, right? Because they could come back, oh, this one got healed and that one got the Holy Ghost and this one happened. But when all comes about, it's all because the Lord was working with them. The Lord was working with them. And so we must have total dependence upon God because here's the fact of the matter. None of us can grow a church. None of us can save anybody. None of us can perform a miracle. None of us can heal anybody. But if I can depend upon God, if I can make a connection with my heavenly father, they can be healed. They can receive the spirit. It can grow. But total dependence must be on God. I say this today and I... Say this today was saddened heart but, heart, but there was, and I'm not trying to, prison is the last thing I was at, okay? <laughs> so it's in my head. But there was a very gifted young man that God used, really a part of our core group, tremendously praying inmates through to the Holy Ghost uh, whenever we went into prisons. Uh, yet whenever we were in Texas, in his line of ladies that came forth for prayer, there was about five ladies that received the Holy Ghost in his line. I mean, just seamlessly, effortlessly. I believe God truly gave him a gift to be able to pray with people uh, for praying them through to the Holy Ghost. Yeah, he walked away from that time and that setting, that particular setting, starting to be deceived into thinking that it was something about him that made all that occur rather than God. And sadly, he left the church that he had been a part of. Things a little disruptive with he and his pastor. He's no longer going in with us. Uh, because he couldn't harness the pride and just be a servant. Whenever we come back and there's 100 that get the Holy Ghost or 30 get the Holy Ghost, how many get the Holy Ghost? That isn't because of anybody, 40 people on that team. That's all because of God. That is all because of God. The Bible says in Romans 12 and verse 3, there's a phrase there. They'll put it there on the screen. There's a phrase there. Look at it. It says, to every man that is among you. Yeah, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That is a good, listen, uh, if you feel like you're starting to feel deceived as though you're walking in high cotton, that's a good little phrase just to mount somewhere where you can see it every day. Amen. Because it's all about the Lord, and it happens as we depend, that we lean we used to sing the old song, leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus. Well, maybe sometimes we need to drag that back out because we need to remind ourselves that that's really where we lean in. Uh, if that prop was kicked out from under us, we'd be flat on our face. We are, we are leaning upon the Lord. And so with Christ, as Christ did in his earthly ministry, what do you see him constantly doing? He's constantly serving people. 
He's constantly serving people. I mean, uh, you know, even told some of the disciples that the foxes have their holes, the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man have nowhere to lay his head. But yet still he's serving people, you know. He's got to have someone go fish and get a coin out, get, get a coin out of fish's mouth, just pay taxes. But he didn't keep that from keeping him from serving people. And so he's serving people. He says in verse 3 of Philippians 2, esteem others or other better than themselves. Servants, serving others, servants think of others before thinking of themselves. This is hard. This is hard in our day because our society has has driven us and have taught us and has embedded in us through our, our, our newspapers, through our periodicals, through our media, that it's all about us. It's the way that we have, it's the way that society is teaching our generation that you need to look out for yourself, you have your best interest in mind, all of that. That's the way we've been taught. And so we are, we are battling then in the church a societal mind frame. A societal mind frame. And so those servants, though, must think of others before thinking of themselves. See, because here's the mentality of today's age. If I don't think about myself, then I might not be thought of at all. But you miss then the true principle of servanthood. If everybody is thinking about the other, you will be thought of. Do you get it? If we're thinking of each other, then you will be thought of. See, servants have this type of mentality. What can I do to help attitude? What can I do to help? Rather than, how is this going to benefit me? That's what we're up against. You sell anything, you even have a church. A lot of times the mentality is, how's your church going to benefit me? Rather than, what can I do to help? Hmm? What, what can I do to help? Man, we see that then really multiplied in the lives of, of the disciples that their mind frame was what could they do to help it wasn't about what what benefited them but what could they do to help number two serving others servants lowered themselves I like this phrase servants lowered themselves to lift others up they lowered themselves to lift others up look then if you will here in Philippians 2 again took on the form of a servant Debased himself, if you will, compared to the splendor of heaven. To the splendor of heaven, he debased himself. For what purpose? For lifting up humanity. Because unless he came and became a relative of humanity, had a body, had flesh and blood, if he had not done that, there would have been no blood to purchase the church. The Bible says we're purchased by his blood. There had been no blood for the remission of sin, which was the problem of humanity from the beginning with Adam and Eve. And so he literally lowered himself. So he could lift you and I up. He lowered himself so that we could actually have life beyond this life that wasn't hellfire and brimstone, which was created for the devil. All right? And so he lowered himself to lift us up. And so this is a phrase that I used, uh, I think it was in Kentucky, a men's conference down there. And that is this. He became like us so we could become like him. He became like us so we could become like him. And so there is never, here's something uh, good to adopt. Sometimes it's hard to adopt. But there is never a task or a service beneath you or me. It's never a task or a service that's beneath us, regardless of what our title is. Amen. Regardless of our title is, you can still have a servant's heart. Not below scrubbing a toilet. 
because I'm just pastor. Right? Not below working and having sweat come up on my brow just because I'm pastor. Amen. There's not any of that that's below us. And well, why if, if such and such has this type of, you know, cloud or something, they shouldn't have to be doing that. And I agree to that to a certain degree. But it doesn't mean that they are exempt from doing that or they can't do that either. Why? Because we're not in this thing just to have a title or have, you know, some bronze plate with a name on a desk. No, we are in this thing. What can I do to help? What can I do to further the purpose that he came for? Number three, servants recognize that the importance of furthering, recognize the importance of furthering the cause of another. I, I call that, and a lot of other people, even in the secular world, would call that leading from the bottom. Uh huh. Leading from the bottom. Ser- servant leaders, they can highlight the accomplishments of others more so than what they would highlight their own accomplishments. It's not like fanning someone else's flame. Amen. Let's take something just real simple to kind of hone it in and, and burn it in the dark. Oh, Sheriff Andy on Andy Griffith in the grand town of Mayberry is a great example of a servant who cared about the welfare of everybody else in Mayberry even more so than his position of being the sheriff. His responsibility was to serve the people. And look at it. He even allowed Barney Fife with the one bullet in his pocket to sometimes walk around with that belt tied, high cotton, buddy, take credit for something that really belonged to the credit of Andy. Why did he do that? Because being a servant, he wasn't afraid to just try to push some, if you will, limelight. Huh? appreciation off on somebody else even though he might have been the one deserving of it he didn't have a spirit of entitlement I'm sheriff bless God look you here this happened because of me no Nelson Mandela said this he said if you want so you want the cooperation of human beings around you he said make them feel that they are important and he says and you do that by being humble right some of the hardest people to be around are people that are not humble. Unless you got a pack of lion, which is called a pride. <laughs> Amen. God bless you. Thank you. You're blessed. Amen. Number four, the attitude of Jesus Christ in humility, servanthood, serving others. And we've already touched on this, really, is laying down your lives in some regard for somebody else. Now, let's consider something. By being servants... By being servants, we give glory to God. John 13 and verse 31, he says, Therefore, when he was gone out, speaking of Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself. And shall straightway glorify him. Let me boil that wordy two verses down just to a simple phrase. When we glorify God, God will glorify us. When we glorify God, God will glorify us. And so we should seek for the glory of God and not the glory of others. Because when we glorify God, he will glorify us. 
We see that taking place in a certain regard years ago, a, a historical a thing that came, play, came into play uh, into our world, uh, the, the Titanic that most people, of course, would be familiar with here today. Very horrific event, of course, in the history of the world. But it, it reveals, perhaps, and portrays a little bit of this concept of servanthood that we are talking about today. According to the survivors' accounts, uh, the women and children first concept was what was pervaded among the boat, that whoever got into the lifeboats was the women and the children first. That's what they were propagating. And so uh, the people upon the ship seemed to be observing that uh, real well, even among the upper class that was regarded among the upper class. As a matter of fact, statistics make it very plain. They said in first class, those who were in first class, every child was saved that was in first class, as were all but five of the 144 women were saved. Three of the women, of course, that were not saved, chose to die with their husbands. They just chose not to get on the lifeboat. By contrast, 70% of the men perished. In second class, 80% of the women were saved, but 90% of the men drowned. And so what that tells us is that even these men that are on the first class list of the Titanic, which virtually kind of made up what you would call the Forbes guess in that day 400 maybe rather than 500 but <laughs> the Forbes uh, 500 of their day one of them by the name of John Jacob Astor repeatedly the richest man of his day is said to have fought his way to a boat put his wife in it and then stepped back and just waved goodbye to her another man Benjamin Guggenheim similarly refused to take a seat saying tell my wife I played the game out straight to the end no woman shall be left on board this ship because of me being a coward in other words some of the most powerful influential people in the world adhered to an unwritten code if you will of honor even though it meant certain death that what you first rather than me you first rather than me You'll stand with me here this morning. Now, those, they literally gave their lives. They literally gave their lives for the women and for the children. But in some aspects and ways, Christ is calling us to lay down our lives in a mode of just putting somebody else's needs before our own. Stooping low to pick somebody else up. Right? They have, you know, you have the Good Samaritan story of of the priests and the Levite and those that are coming by, a man, the Bible says, who fell among thieves on his way from Jericho to Jerusalem. He's beaten. The Bible says he's left half dead. It's not much life in him. And yet the priest and both the Levite are coming from Jerusalem to Jericho, which largely means they probably have come from serving their course in the temple, doing their temple duty, doing temple worship, had just did everything that was required. I, I've all times said it in teaching the Good Samaritan story. They have just been to love God. But one passes by, one looks at a distance, gives it consideration and passes by. They just got done loving God, but they couldn't love man. Which cast somewhat of a shadow then of their real love for God. Because we only live, love God who we don't see. Why don't we love man who we can see? So they go on by, but here then comes 
what is relayed as the good Samaritan, what we've been taught as kids is the good Samaritan, a Samaritan who is of the lowest class of society in many regards. He's not priest. He's not Levite. He's not Jew. He's not Gentile. So see, the pecking order starts going down. He's not Gentile. He's Samaritan, half Jew, half Gentile. He's an outcast. And yet he sees a man that is beaten, taken advantage of in some measure. He doesn't know all the circumstances. He just sees the results. And he bends down, puts in the oil, he puts in the wine, to, which was like the first aid kit of their day. First responders, well, you guys got it good deep today. Imagine just going around with some oil and some wine, you know, to help everybody out. He, he's just doing that, and he sets him on his own beast. He's half dead. But the fact of the matter, if he was half dead, he's still half alive. Can I tell you, we don't have to know everybody's circumstances that's brought them to the point of being half dead in order to lend a hand. You don't. You don't. There's so many stories we don't know that we pray for until after the fact. Amen. But you can find them in that mode, stoop down to the role of a servant. I'm just, I'm just here to help. Just a little, just a little oil. Just going to put you on my beast. Going to make, going to get you to safety. Going to take care of the bill, whatever, whatever more is required. I'm just going to, just going to take care of. What is that? That's laying down your life. If he was on the journey, now think, put in today's terms. He was on a journey. He probably had some purpose, some intent that he was traveling for. You know, how many times, you know, it's like I can't stop or I can't do that because then I got this to do. Seriously. I can't because I got something I'm doing. Sometimes it's hard to stop. We need to this month concentrate on living unselfishly. I'm not saying we get it perfect or will get it perfect all the time. But to try to practice to be like Jesus. Try to serve others. Try, if you will, to make of ourselves of no reputation. Amen. To help somebody else along the way. Because I guarantee you today, even within these four walls and outside these four walls, there's somebody that needs you. There's somebody that needs you. There's somebody that needs your story. There's somebody that needs your hand. There's somebody that just needs your listening ear. There's somebody that needs you today. Whenever you leave this place, and as we all time say, and you enter the mission field, you need to look at every individual because there could be somebody that needs, needs you. They need you. They need you to help make that, that contact between them and heaven to bridge the gap, if you will. If we embow our heads in this place, all across this building today, if there is anybody sitting under the sound of my voice this morning, and you're in need of the Lord today, you have some things perhaps in your life and in your past that has left you in many respects half dead, so to speak, lifeless. I want you to know that this is a safe place today. This is a safe place to come and be reacquainted with the Lord. If you have before, if you never have before, this is a good day to come to the Lord. Whenever we talk about repentance, repentance is simply this. Repentance is a change of mind. Repentance is a change of mind. You, you, you have a mind change about the way that you have been living life or what you did live life like. Because whenever you have a change of mind, it will forever have an impact upon the way that you behave. And so if you say today, you know what, the way that it has been, I'm, I'm going to make an about face here and I'm going to change my mind concerning that. God will meet you there. 
God will meet you there at that place of repentance, of a mind change, and he will help you with your journey. And I'm here to tell you today that you are among a house of servants this morning. You're among a house of servants today that will be willing to help you, willing to aid you in whatever capacity that we can along the way to lift you back up, perhaps in a place that you need to be. Hallelujah. Can the church begin to pray today? Lord, we want to be selfless. We want to be selfless, Lord. There's people with real needs, God, and we want, Lord, to help meet the needs. God, there's people, Lord, with achings, Lord, in their souls. There's people, Lord, with circumstances of their past. God, they're not asking anybody to look into the past. They're just asking somebody to help them with the results, God, how they have been, if you will, Lord, taken advantage of of their past. Lord, they just want to be helped with where they are in the moment. I pray, oh, God, help us to do that. Help us, God, to lay down our life. Help us, God, to lay down our life. Help us, God, not to be here for a handout, but, God, what can we do to help somebody by placing our hand out to them? I pray, oh, God, today, Lord, that there be a spirit of servanthood, God, that would sweep over this place, God, to see what we could do rather than what we could get. I pray, oh, Lord, today, rather than receiving a pat on the back, can we pat somebody else? I pray, oh, Lord, and help somebody in their moment of need. Hallelujah. These altars are open this morning. Hallelujah. If you want to pray to the Lord, He's here to meet you today. He's here to meet you today. If you need forgiveness of sins, He's here to meet you today. If you need a remitting of sins, He's already shed blood. He came down as a servant. He lowered Himself. He shed blood for the purpose that you could have life. It's available today. It's available today. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.